right, welcome into another edition of Hay Fighting Podcast, presented by Marathon Petroleum. Get the most out of your drive. I'm Harrison Valentine, joined by the glue that holds this show together, Jacob Hester. And we got producer Cody for the first time in Hay Fighting Podcast history. If you can hear him now on the ones and twos. Well, not really the first time. He used to actually like produce and host at the same time. I've got to, uh, you know, give him his flowers when they're due. True. I will say, Hester, it's Wednesday. LSU's closed. Nobody's in the office. It's inclement weather. But we're still here in the studio recording Hate Fighting Podcast. What does that say about the dedication? Well, since we've got grit. I mean, you've got like a WWE wrestler name already. It's a fantastic name. I mean, Harrison Valentine. So it's a wrestler name. So you have grit inherently. And uh, fullbacks have grit. We know that. Uh, Flint, no grit. Zero grit. Now, Cody was a front runner most of this season, but he has saved himself here because he actually is here when the school's closed. So we've got grit. Cody's starting to get some back. Flint has none. We got a lot of LSU football talk to get to, but I thought uh, on a more serious note, before we get started, I wanted to begin the show by paying some respects to uh, the great Mike Leach, who passed away on Monday evening. Our thoughts and prayers are obviously with Coach's family and those he impacted throughout his career. As somebody that played the game, understands how he transformed football over the years, how would you describe Coach Leach's impact, both as an innovative mind, but also as a you know, personality unlike the game has ever seen before? So we throw around the word unique far too often because things aren't unique as much as we say that things are unique. But Mike Leach was unique in what he did as far as schematics on the field and who he was off the field. Yesterday on Off Campus, we did a full three-hour show talking about Mike Leach, talking about what he brought to offenses, what he you know, said in his post-game interviews, what he said in teleconferences. And not many times can you do a show that's three hours, you know, paying respects to one person and never repeat yourself. But that's what we did with Mike Leach because that's just who he was. And it was kind of therapeutic by the end of it, right? It's always going to be like a downer of a show because it's such a a tragedy and and you've you've got – you know, this tragedy that happens and, and, and you're trying to remember the person the way they should be remembered. But by the end of it, it's like, man, this, this guy was just fantastic yep. <laughs> in all aspects of it. And we all know, like, the candy corn conversation, the candy innovation and how Europe has better candy than the U.S. And him telling Alyssa Lang about she should elope and not get married because it costs so much money. Um, I asked him about neckties one time. We were at SEC Media Day, Harrison, and he kept fooling with his necktie just over and over again. And I'm like, Coach, you don't really like that, do you? And then he goes off for like seven minutes on whoever created the necktie was an idiot. That was his exact quote. I mean, he was just so interesting. We had a conversation about how khakis were the superior pant to blue jeans and dress pants and how cargo pants are, are the ultimate design because of all the functions <laughs> that you can have. And so he was just truly one of one. And – what he did on the football field as well. Like it was his play sheet. Like now we see these poster boards, right, of play callers, and they had this poster board in front of him. He had a note card. I mean, it was the old KISS method. I mean, he believed in what he was calling. It was very simplistic, but he knew how he wanted to call it, and his players knew exactly what to do. And he gave his, his players freedom to be able to go out there and be playmakers. We had Wes Welker on the show yesterday, and Wes was one of his star players, maybe the biggest star that he had at Texas Tech. And he was talking about – actually, it was my official visit to Texas Tech. They beat Texas 42-38. to 38. And it was 42-38. Texas Tech has the ball two minutes left in the game, and they're trying to run out the clock. Texas uses their last timeout, and Wes goes to the sideline. He's like, hey, coach, I think we should do the double pass we've been working on. Now, 
never in four-minute offense do you run a double pass on third and nine. And they're in man coverage, by the way. It's like the worst possible call to have. But Leach is like, yeah, sure, that sounds good. Go ahead. If you believe in it, I believe in it, is what he told Wes Welker. And so his players loved him. Um, he, he was somebody that took chances. I mean, he is like the innovative guy. He's like the innovator of, hey, let's go for it on fourth down wherever we're at on the field. Like So, I mean, we could sit there. And, again, we did three hours on Mike Leach. Yesterday, we could do an hour and a half here on Mike Leach and still never repeat ourselves. He was just, and Wes kept saying that he was just a butte. He was a butte that we were lucky to be able to have in college football. Did you realize how deep his coaching tree was when you looked at the list? I mean, there's some crazy names right now that are top college football, like Josh Heupel, Lincoln Riley. There's just his list, his coaching tree runs very deep. I mean, Dana Holgerson, who was a player for him and then a coach and um, Neil Brown, who's a head coach at, at West Virginia. I mean, Dave Aranda was a GA under Mike Leach. I didn't know, you know, the depth of it until yesterday. Like, I knew some of the names you're throwing out there, and I didn't know the story about Lincoln Riley. Like, he had to have a tough conversation with Lincoln Riley and basically tell him, your future is not on the football field as a player. Your future is what I'm doing right now, and to be a coach and to be able to communicate it to the players. He's like, I think you have a skill set. And Lincoln Riley tells a great story of you know going through that and being mad about it for a couple of days and then realizing that Coach Leach was probably right. And now Lincoln Riley, obviously, one of the most successful coaches in college football. So the coaching tree, I mean, Sonny Dykes. Yep. I mean, Sonny Dykes is in that coaching tree. He was with him at Texas Tech. And so uh, three of the five he- uh, Heisman finalists were – guys that came from Coach Leach's tree that were coached by those players like, you know, Sonny Dykes and obviously Max Duggan and, and Riley and Caleb Williams and Hinton Hooker and Josh Heupel. So the impact he had on college football has just been massive. And his coaching tree is only going to continue that because you're talking about young football coaches who have already been highly successful. All right. No easy way to segue from something like that. But obviously our thoughts are, are still with him and his family and those that were impacted uh, by him. All right, so no football games to talk to, obviously, to talk about. Um, I thought, you know, LSU held their annual award show on Sunday night. I think it's, um, I think it was their banquet that they kind of transformed into a more of a award show, SB style uh, event. I picked out a few players to talk about the awards they won, and I kind of thought we'd talk about the season they had. First is Jane Daniels, who was named the uh, Charles McClendon Most Valuable Player. I think it goes without saying that without J.D., this season obviously looks a lot different. Um, created a lot with his legs, but I was very impressed with you know, what we saw from him as a passer. He became a lot more of a confident passer from the Florida game on. Um, he was really the catalyst, the difference maker on offense. Surprise or no surprise on, on J.D. 5 being uh, the offensive MVP? Uh, no surprise, and I think Charles McClendon award I think goes to the team MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's a big honor. I, I know for me, like personally, it, it was something that I hold in, yep. in high regard in, in my man cave. It's a it's a watch that doesn't necessarily fit me, but it is definitely on display. And it was the biggest honor that I had uh, individually without, you know, obviously the national championship trumps everything. But like for him to get that is huge and he deserves it. I mean, he came in here and he's someone that took the job. It was a competition. You had really good quarterbacks in that competition he wins the job and then he continues to get better week after week and he became the true leader of this team you mentioned the florida game certainly that's one that we all remember like florida old miss alabama some of those games that he had there in the middle portion of the season were key to lsu getting to an sec championship game and he's somebody that 
for me, like he, he him playing through the SEC championship game and being injured like he was, like as a former player, like that goes a long way. He very easily, certainly in today's college football, could have said, you know what, I'm protecting myself. I'm not going out there. I'm not playing in that game. But he didn't have that. Right. He went out there. He gave you everything that he had for as long as he possibly could have. And so things like that stand out to me as well. So his play on the field was great. I thought his tenacity, I thought his grit at the end of the season was big. And there's no surprise to me because you look at the biggest wins for LSU this year. He was the key component in all those wins. You're right. Uh, Percy E. Roberts offensive player of the year for LSU was Josh Williams, a guy I know you are the chairman of the Josh yes. Williams fan club. Uh, probably one of my favorite players on offense this season, probably one of my favorite players on the team this season, somebody who was really undervalued, undersized, overlooked, kind of reminded me of Clyde in a way, not as much for the running style, but just because of the, the sense of being undervalued, undersized, overlooked, and just proving everybody wrong and fighting for every blade of grass. Um, to me, his de- development this season from, you know, you know, second back, third back to featured back for most of the year was really fun to watch. He does it the right way. He's an excellent student, tremendous leader, and I think he's as tough a football player as we were able to watch all season long. The best thing I could say about him, because I agree with everything that you just said, and we know the story by now. We know that he's a walk-on. We know how he got here. We know he could have gone other places and had a scholarship, but he battled himself and got here to Baton Rouge. And so that's always going to go a very long way with me, and it's going to go a long way with others. But the biggest compliment I can give Williams this year is he was the most trustable guy on the field. Like, you could trust him in every situation. It didn't matter what it was. Like, if you needed a a running back in four minutes to hold on to the football, I'm screaming, make sure it's Josh Williams. If you needed a big pass protection and a third down, he was the guy. If you look at the overtime play to beat Alabama or at least get you in the end zone to give you the chance to beat Alabama – Who's blocking down the field? It's Josh Williams. So he was the guy that was most trustworthy in every situation. By the way, is trustable a word? Can we we get confirmation on that, Cody? You're the uh, wordsmith. It's not a word. Ah, I like trustable better. Anyways, we just googled it. it. Sounds like trustable. Hey, I, you know, I fixed myself, but I'm gonna. Uh, trustable is going to be a word by the end of this podcast. But Josh was always that guy. He was always that guy you could count on. Apparently, uh, it is a word, by the way. It is a word. See? Approved by the brand. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're going to go to the defensive side of the ball. Um, don't need some huge introduction here for number 40, other than he's a, he's a problem. Uh, Harold Perkins wins the Percy E. Roberts Defensive Player of the Year. The crazy thing about 40 this year is they, you know, Brian Kelly always talked about in the press conferences about how they kind of fed him the playbook in waves this year. Yeah. So a lot of what we were seeing on the field was just raw talent. Uh, so the future is scary for Harold Perkins, and I can guarantee you one thing, the future is even scarier for opposing quarterbacks that see 40 in their backfield. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult, Harrison, as a freshman to come in here and play at the SEC level, even if you're learning one position, because coaches don't have time to really teach you multiple positions. You almost you have to listen when they're coaching someone else to learn the position. That, that was for me. Like I learned fullback, but anytime any of our coaches were talking to Joseph Adai. Well, I've got to listen because if I get in there in that situation, like you got to be ready to go. And Harold Perkins had that and then some. He's playing stackbacker. He's playing edge. He's playing nickel Sam. He's really all over the place. And so like as the year went along, obviously, like he was going to be on the field more. He was going to have more responsibilities. And the coaches obviously did a nice job of integrating him into the system because – 
if you just throw a, a freshman out there in one position, it's hard enough, but he's basically playing three positions. And so they knew they had a plan because it was early in camp that we could tell he was going to be a dude. I remember going out there first couple of days. I'm like, okay, who is this grown man? Because I wasn't sure what number he was going to wear. I didn't know exactly if that was him or not. And I quickly found out that's exactly who it was. And so it's been very impressive. And like in this situation coming up in a bowl game, right? You lose a couple of players. You lose a couple of guys because they're getting ready for the NFL draft and they're not going to be in this game. Maybe you lose some players to the portal. Like what a great tool to have a Harold Perkins where he can cover up a lot, right? He creates depth at multiple positions. And so the sky's the limit for him. He's a Sunday player. He's been a Sunday player ever since he walked on campus. And LSU still has him for multiple seasons, which is a great thing yep. if you're an LSU football fan. So imagine what he did this year. Imagine under a full offseason of the weight room, of you know football school, of spring practice. Because remember, he wasn't an early enrollee either. I, next year, in my opinion, like from the first game, he's going to be a top five defensive player in the country. So I'm excited about his future. I was ex I'm excited about the present. The present's great, but the future's even brighter. One player I wanted to single out in particular as well was uh, Makai Wingo, who was named the Alvin Roy Award winner uh, for the player who has shown the most dedication to the athletic development program. You couldn't have asked more uh, after uh, Mason Smith went down against Florida State. Very rarely do you see a player or do you lose a player like Mason Smith and not notice a, a loss in production and that's really what Makai Wingo provided you this year. It was huge. I mean, where are you if you don't have Makai Wingo? And he was very highly rated out of the transfer portal, but not a lot of people talked about him. And some of it is because of the position that he played. I understand that, but he was so impactful this year. I mean he's a third team All American by the AP, if I'm not mistaken. And so like he got honored. People recognized it. You don't play as many snaps as he played at that position. It's a position that rotates almost as much as any on the football field. But LSU didn't have that because you had injuries, and he was just out there every single play. A defensive tackle to play 100% of the snaps in the SEC, like, and that's basically what he did. It's remarkable. And to play at that level. And so he deserves all the credit that he got. Um, you could have given him multiple awards, and I would have been – okay with that he got the iron tiger i believe in the offseason so to get the alvin roy there at the end of the season again no surprise and that's another player that's going to be in a tiger uniform again next season and i think it's only going to continue to get better before we move on i want to let you speak on two of your own we have a number 18 and a 318 great uh who declared for the nfl draft bj ojulari and jerry jenkins announced they were both moving on to the next level let's start with jerry uh, one of those Tigers that probably won't steal the headlines, probably yep. won't be the most flashy, but always did his job. How would you characterize uh, Jure's LSU football career? Uh, clutch. Whenever you needed a play, he kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, we we're always going to remember Texas A&M a season ago uh, when you were a heavy underdog and he catches the pass there. We're going to remember Florida this year in a game-changing play. Even in the SEC championship game, he had a nice play where Nuss gets away from a defender and throws a touchdown in there. It just seemed like Jure always came up with a big play. He, he maybe didn't have the game where he's going to have 10 catches, but he always came up with the catch that you needed. And so he was always clutch to me. He was always somebody that stepped up whenever he had to. And also something I appreciate, you saw him on teams this year. Like special teams – this season for LSU obviously didn't go the way you wanted it to go and there had to be some players some older veteran players that had to step up and I look up and Dre is a gunner on punt 
And for him to be a senior, be a guy that's in that receiver rotation, he had made so many plays, he didn't complain. In fact, he actually thrived on special teams this year. He's got a role on Sundays. He'll probably break in being a special teams guy. And if he gets the opportunity to make the play, I've seen it too many times, he'll make that play. And so for me, clutch is always the thing I'm going to remember with Jure. Yeah, and use those two words, dependable and trustworthy for Josh Williams. I think that fits perfectly for Jure yeah. too. Um, and then I saw you post an Instagram story uh, congratulating your, your number 18 brethren in BJ. When you look back at his career, how would you kind of characterize his time in purple and gold? Look, he came here when he could have very easily gone other places. Uh, he's from the state of Georgia. His brother played at Georgia, but he wanted to create his own path. And so he comes to LSU and he came to LSU and a lot of us, you know, were able to come to LSU and win 10 games. That was not the case for him. He had a 500 season followed by a losing season. That's not a, a lot of uh, run here lately of LSU football that you're going to see that. In fact, you're not going to see it. But it didn't matter for him. Like, he was always still there. Him playing in the bowl game last year, like, meant the world to me as a former player. Again, very easily could have not played in that game. He played in that game. And by the way, like, until Kansas State figured out, we probably need to block number eight. Like, he was dominating that game in the Texas Bowl a year ago. And so then he gets 18 this year. There could not have been a better person to wear 18. He's always there. He's always on time. He's always somebody that was team first, individual later. And he's going to play a long time. He's going to have a, a great professional career. But the thing I can say most about him is he gave you everything he had, even when it wasn't going well, even when the team wasn't having success. So I'm glad – like guys like that in that signing class, I'm glad they got the experience of an SEC championship game because they were going through a rough patch of LSU football that the, the school hasn't really seen in over 20 years. But you never heard him complain. You never saw him opt out of anything or not be there for anything. He was always there, ready to go. And so for him, uh, I appreciate the way he kind of just went about his work. We talked last week. Have you done any you know, advanced scouting on the Boilermakers since we last talked? Well, I'm curious on what they're going to do because Jeff Brom goes to Louisville and you got Ryan Walters coming in from Illinois, the defensive coordinator. Now, Illinois had a top five defense all season long, but it's always when you have your coach leave for a bowl game, you have a new coach coming in. We went through this last year at LSU. Like, what's the scheme going to be, right? And it's kind of one of those deals where it can be an advantage for Purdue because you just don't know. They're going to let everything kind of just hang loose because why not, right? And a lot of those coaches are going to be Louisville coaches next year so it can be a little chaotic yeah but it also can be chaotic for you trying to get ready for that because you just don't like everything's going to be up for purdue right i mean we saw it last year in lsu's ball game the last play of the game you got like a double reverse pass for a, like an 80 plus yard touchdown and so for me it's more like let's pay attention to what players are going to be playing for purdue like if aiden o'connell plays for purdue he's a really good quarterback he's somebody who's done at a high level for four years, really, in the Big Ten. I mean, he, he's got another year of eligibility, obviously, too, and it'll be interesting to see if he comes back and if he plays in this game. Purdue's got very capable players. Um, the offense is is one that scores a lot of points. Now, Jeff Brom not being there, not calling those, you know, what are they going to do? So it's still a lot of question marks, and it's already hard enough in today's college football to figure out what's going to go on. But when you lose your coach and you have a new coach coming in and you have coaches coaching in the game that aren't going to be there after the game, you just – you never know. Before we wrap up, we have to get a Philly dispatch from you. Hester went to Philadelphia to watch America's game. Army-Navy uh, over the weekend. You said it was going to be a special day um, before you went. 
Now, did it live up to all, all, the, all the hype? It exceeded it, and which is hard to do. I mean, you build something up for so long, and as I told you last week, like my dad was a Marine, my other grandfather was a Coast Guard, and then Marine, and my other grandfather was in the Navy, and so like there was so many things that I wanted to just take in because I've always heard about the game from them. I've heard about the game from all my colleagues at SiriusXM who had had a chance to cover the game, and you just – like you build it up so high, you you hope it lives up to it. But man, it it did that and then some. We we're there and we're on Radio Row and Pete Dawkins, who's basically Captain America, was one of the first people to sit down with us. He was the last Heisman Trophy winner that Army had in the late fifties, and just his life. Like he was a, a captain of the hockey team, a captain of the football team, on the baseball team there at West Point. So imagine how hard that is to do, and also like taking like twenty something hours per semester um he goes to oxford as part of the rugby team there a road scholar by the way after that uh brigade command uh, commander after that I was, I was reading his bio and i was just like blown away i'm like what have you not done you know and he's still he's 84 years old and he's still hopping around and, and still getting around and still as sharp as ever and then like we had a chance the next day to interview the joint chief of staffs general milley incredible i mean it's the highest ranking military official that there is and just the presence of everyone in that room uh, was amazing chief of staff for the army and the navy and so like the radio row portion of it uh, it, it lived up to it and you could tell you're in the presence of, of, of just these these huge figures that are uh, obviously a big part of our military and then you get to the game and it blows you away the march on with the cadets and the midshipmen there's nothing I've ever seen like it. I saw when Army won and they stormed the field. I saw one of the security guards was trying to stop all the entire United States Army from storming <laughs> the field. Like, how are you going to do that? Oh, dude. They, they, I mean, there was no chance. And, I mean, some of the best trash talk that you'll ever hear is is from that day leading up to the game, the day before and the game day. It, it, there was a lot. There was a lot of trash talk between Army and Navy. But – just the the flyovers like for the army you have the helicopters and you have the planes for the navy and, and for it to be a standalone game i love how it's, it's a standalone a standalone game. and it's like there was like the passion of an lsu alabama lsu florida game but there was also like this like i played a game in wembley against the saints and those fans just they cheered the whole time because they didn't really have a dog in the fight and they're just they're there to see football and they're there to cheer and so it was loud the whole time it was the same thing now army and navy have their fans there but there is a portion of that fan base at the game that's just there to watch what well, we were all there to watch, Army-Navy, a matchup we've always seen and heard about. And so they just cheered the whole time. And the cadets just going crazy after they won the game. Um, the, the game itself, Navy had the longest rush, uh, rush that they've ever had for a touchdown in the Army-Navy series history, which goes back, you know, 123rd version this year. It was the first overtime game between Army and Navy. And Army looked like they were not going to win the game. They kicked a field goal. They tied up. And so there was drama there at the end. And just being on that field, because we had a chance to watch the end of the fourth quarter and the overtime on the field, on field level, and to see them storm the field and be around that and see the joy that they had on their face. And you heard uh, cadets screaming, 365, 365, which meant that they got to talk trash for yep. 365 days. Uh, it lived up to it. If you ever get a chance to go to the game, it's a bucket list item. It's one of the coolest things that I've ever done in my life. Hopefully, I'll be able to go every year. Next year, it's in Boston. So they're rotating that game a little bit there. It's a great recruiting tool for them, obviously, to have that game travel a little bit. So uh, it lived up to it. 
it's um, it's something that's hard to explain and something that I'm glad I was a part of. I was living vicariously through your Instagram stories. I felt like I was there as well. Thanks for that. Thanks for the dispatch. Yep. Uh, thanks to Marathon for Petroleum for uh, letting us get the most out of our drive. Uh, we'll probably take a week or two off to enjoy the holidays. But thanks to producer Cody as well for what a producer for for working the one, what. You missed something really important. What? And I feel like hold on. Hey everyone. <laughs> what? I, I am producing today, but but Harrison forgot probably the most important topic of the podcast: the World Cup. Ah. Argentina's in the final. I'm gonna just tee you up, Hester, and I'll go back behind my desk. It's okay, Harrison. You're yeah. you're you're doing a great job covering LSU football. But what people actually care about when they're listening yes. to this podcast is soccer. Argentina in the final. Yes. We got France, Morocco, and yeah. Morocco today. I blanked on Morocco there for a second. How about that? Um, God doesn't love underdogs. I know. Uh, France, Morocco today. I kind of already penciled France through, but give yeah. us your World Cup take. And then y'all can get out of here. All right. Uh, I'm glad you stopped it because this podcast has many soccer Thanks, elements Cody. to it. Um, so for Argentina, I want Messi to win one. I truly do. I think Messi deserves to win one because of what he's given the beautiful game. He has every other trophy outside of the World Cup. Uh, Argentina has won one in their past, but only one. There's only been eight countries that have won a World Cup. Messi is one of the GOATs unquestionably one of the goats of, of soccer forever, like not just in this generation, forever. I want him to be John Elway, not Dan Marino. And I love Dan Marino. Dan Marino was one of the most talented people to ever throw a football. But Dan Marino didn't win a Super Bowl. He played in one, just like Messi played in a 2014 World Cup final. But we don't throw Dan Marino in the greatest of all time conversation, even though he probably deserves to be in that conversation because he didn't do what? He didn't win it all. And so Brady and Breeze, and Manning, they're all in that conversation. Elway, no Dan Marino. I don't want Messi to be Dan Marino. I want him to be, let's say, Drew Brees, or let's say Aaron Rodgers, so he can win one. Maybe John Elway, because Elway actually won back-to-back. But let's see if we can get Messi to not be Dan Marino and to be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback like Breeze and Rodgers and the ones that finish it off, and so now they're in that greatest of all time conversation. He has the opportunity to do so. They're already in the final. Like Cody said, probably going to play France, although Morocco has not conceded a goal. Their only goal given up is an own goal against Canada. Very stingy there from the 22nd-ranked FIFA team in the world and the first African nation to make it as far as they did. So here's to Messi winning the World Cup. I wish I could add anything constructive to the conversation. I do not know much about soccer. However, I will say Cody has kind of taught me I've been sitting in his office watching the World Cup all Dude, all month. Harrison, there's three rules. What? What are the three rules? There's three rules. Okay. Don't touch the ball with your hand. I know that. All right. Don't cherry pick. All right. Don't be offsides. You can't just sit back there and let him kick it to you. And um, I don't know if I can say this uh, on air. Uh, don't be a jackass. Uh, <laughs> there we I go. I said it. Just, that's the three rules. Like, if you follow that, you know the game of soccer. That's <clears> literally the only three rules that you need to know. All right. Do we have all of our bases covered, producer? We good? All right. Good job Thank producing, Cody. Yeah. Thanks to Marathon Petroleum for helping us get the, the most tape, out of our drive. Uh, to the tape, Cody. Uh, we don't have any. No tape. And thanks to you this holiday season for listening to this episode of Hey Fighting Podcast. Like nights of old, we fight to hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you tigers. I said fight, fight, fight. Victory for victory. Victory for LSU! Oh, 
victory. 